This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual or anyone or anything. The Sangre de Cristo Mountains are part of the Southern Rocky Mountains, which stretches from Colorado to New Mexico in the U.S. Some of its glaciated summits surpass 14,000 feet or 4,300 meters. The mountains were named by the Spanish explorer Antonio Valverde y Cosio in 1719. When he saw how the sunrise tinted the peaks red, he exclaimed, Sangre de Cristo, which means blood of Christ. This is Decoding Cults, and I'm your host, Palsy. You are listening to Papa Pilgrim, Part 2. This week, we'll be continuing with the life of Bobby and how he slowly became more and more radical in his beliefs. If you've not listened to Part 1, I suggest that you stop here and go and listen. That way, the story will make more sense. I'm going to insert a trigger warning here. I'll be speaking of child abuse towards the end of their episode. So if this is in any way triggering for you, please take care of your mental health when listening. Today we return to Apple Valley, which is in the Mojave Desert in California. This is where Bobby, who at this time was still going by the name Ram, and little Aaliyah had joined another commune in 1974, after their time in South America. Bobby by now was in his 30s. Before we continue on with Bobby's tale, I want to briefly talk about the life of a young lady called Kirina Rose Bressler. There's not an enormous amount of information on her childhood, but what I could find was the following. Karina is the daughter of Dan and Betty Bresler. She also had a brother called Martin. Karina's father, Dan, was a photographer. Her mother, Betty, was a singer and an actress who starred in the 1971 action film Shaft. She also played a nun in a touring production of The Sound of Music. When Karina was three years old, her parents got divorced. Now, I'm not 100% sure why, but Dan got custody of Kirina. I also have no idea which parent her brother ended up with, or anything about his life, other than a credit on imdb.com, where he was in the editorial department for the 1984 film Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly. Because Dan travelled a lot with his photography business, Karina ended up mostly being raised by her paternal grandmother in Beverly Hills Canyon, 
By the time Karina was becoming a teenager, she started living with her mother again, still in Beverly Hills. Her mother had married producer and director Joel Freeman a few years before. Karina felt as if she never really fit in. She had a semi-luxurious life, but didn't like the materialism in the world in which she was growing up. One of her favorite television shows was Little House on the Prairie, which she would watch and longingly think of living a simple life out in the country. She dreamed of living a life from the land. As I've previously stated, the 60s and 70s were a time where some young people rebelled against the norm. Of these, some wanted a simple life, living together in communities and providing for themselves from the land. This is how many of the hippie communes came to be. At the age of 16, Karina left school and went to join a commune in Apple Valley. Right. We're now back in Apple Valley, where one day, Bobby decided that he wanted to go for a dip in some nearby hot springs. When Bobby approached the spring, he saw a naked young girl on the riverbank. Now, the way Bobby would tell it in later years, apparently upon seeing this naked girl, a cosmic voice from the heaven told him that, quote, this woman will be your wife and she will bear you many children, end quote. This girl was 16-year-old Karina Rose Bresler. Bobby walked down to her and introduced himself as Ram. When he found out that she was 16, he claimed that this was fate. She was the same age as his beloved KK. In my opinion, he probably had a thing for young girls. This is not the first time, and sadly not the last, where we will encounter this kind of gross attraction. Just remember, he was 33 at this point and probably thought that she was still young enough to easily manipulate. During the hippie movement, as part of rebelling against the man, some followers would change their names, like from Sarah Smith to Moonflower Sunbeam. So it stands to reason that Bobby and Karina wanted to change their names as well. The tale goes that Karina was getting a lift into the nearest town one day, when the guy who was driving the car called her Sun Blossom. When she told Bobby about it, he told her that to him she was more of a sunlight. They also came up with the name Firefly for Bobby. They even decided that they would change their surname to Sunstar. They liked their names so much that they eventually legally changed them to Sunlight and Firefly. For now, I'm going to keep referring to them as Bobby and Karina because they will have yet another name change later in the story. By 1975, the pair were living together on the commune, but Karina said that at this point she liked Bobby but saw him more as a father figure. At one point, Karina decided that she wanted to go back home to Beverly Hills to see her family. Obviously, Bobby followed her there and when her parents laid eyes on this older man with their child, they wanted none of it and chased him away. Karina, now completely emotionally dependent on Bobby, left in the middle of the night to go and be with him. If you recall from our last episode, KK had done the exact same thing. The pair then decided to go and join another commune in Hawaii. Hawaii is the state of the U.S., it's comprised of a cluster of islands in the Pacific Ocean, about 3,200 kilometers or 
200 miles off of the country's west coast. If you've been wondering if I've forgotten about little Alia, I have not. She has still been with Bobby this whole time, and even moved with them to Hawaii. The then five-year-old Aaliyah would spend a lot of her time running around the commune without any clothes on. This apparently caught the attention of someone who worked for the local Child Protective Services. CPS is a government agency within the United States, which is responsible for providing child protection, which includes responding to reports of child abuse or neglect. Now, the details aren't very clear, but little Aaliyah was eventually taken into custody by CPS and returned to her mother on the mainland. In her book, Out of the Wilderness, Elishaba mentions that she has been in contact with Aaliyah, and it seems that her time with Bobby was pretty traumatic. And I truly hope that she has found some semblance of peace and has a happy life now. I, for one, am super glad she got away when she did, especially with what is going to be happening later on. Bobby, being quite a bit older than the other members of the commune, inserted himself as their de facto leader. Bobby was at this point still drinking a lot of alcohol, smoking weed and at times taking LSD. Because of this, his mood swings were quick and extreme. In one breath, he could draw you in with his incredible conversational skills and then make you feel worthless in the next. He also started treating everyone in the commune as his subordinates. Karina and Bobby would eventually start a physical relationship, and it was then that she realized that he only wanted her to be around to fulfill his sexual needs. Although she was sort of seen as his girlfriend, apparently he had a large sexual appetite and would sleep with other female members of the commune, sometimes making Karina share their bed with other women. Look, I'm not judging Bobby here. If you want to be satisfied in a different way and you're a consenting adult, then you do you. But my feeling is Karina wasn't exactly thrilled with this arrangement. To add to this, the age of consent in California at that time was 18, but the age of consent in Hawaii was only 16. So I guess as she was 17, it was legal in Hawaii for them to be physical together. Shortly after they started their physical relationship, Karina fell pregnant. The pair decided to move back to their commune near Apple Valley in California. Bobby tried to make Karina's life as comfortable as possible given their living conditions. A month before her due date, Karina decided to go horseback riding. Being that far along in her pregnancy, it wasn't the best of ideas to be bouncing up and down on the bare back of a horse. Naturally, she then started going through labour. On the 23rd of January, 1976, a little baby girl was born. If you recall from our last episode, Bobby was quite skilled as a midwife, so he coached Kirina through the birth. When the little girl was born, she came out still surrounded by her amniotic sac. They said that she looked like she was still in a cocoon, so they decided to name her Butterfly. The family ended up staying in the attic of one of the buildings on the commune. Bobby was a doting father and loved to hold his little girl in his arms. The one thing he could, however, not stand was crying. The attic in which they slept 
was only accessible through an open hole in the roof with a rope ladder leading up to the hole. When Butterfly was put down for naps, they would fasten a net under the access hole so that she would not fall to the ground. At times, when she would wake up from her nap, she'd crawl over to the opening and fall in the net. At first, when she cried, either her mom or her dad would come to help her. Then Bobby decided that he wanted to break her will. So he refused to help her, and he wouldn't let Kirina help her either when she was crying. He even started flicking her with a fly swatter when she cried. She quickly learned that it was not okay to cry. As Butterfly got older, Bobby would brag to everyone that she was a daddy's girl. Now, that by itself is kind of sweet, but when you pair it with the fact that he loved showering with her and would gloat over her naked body, well, that to me is just creepy. Bobby's mother Virginia sent him a small amount of inheritance money, some of which he used to buy an old Chevrolet flatbed truck. Bobby built a makeshift one-roomed shelter on the back of the truck, and he, Karina, and Butterfly moved in there. Bobby called this little shelter of theirs the barn. On 25 July 1977, Bobby and Karina welcomed little Joseph into the world. This was once again a home birth, this time on the back of the truck. Bobby also bought a red Arabian horse, which they called Shima. The couple still very much embraced the hippie lifestyle at this point. Around 1979, Bobby felt a great need to go and see his brother Billy. If you recall from the previous episode, Billy had gone to veterinary school and married his high school sweetheart Patsy. The pair had opened a relatively successful veterinary clinic in Texas and were raising four children, two boys and two girls. Bobby loaded Karina, the two kids and the horses into the back of the barn and they started the 1,300 mile or 2,092 kilometer trip to Fort Worth. The trip was slow going, especially with the heavy load of people and horses in the back. I can't even imagine the smell of that cramped little space with a woman, two children and two horses. Every so often, they would pull up behind a shop and scavenge through the bins in the back for any food that was thrown out, even if it was expired. They would pull over to vacant pieces of land to allow the horses to graze. Eventually, they parked in front of Billy's house. I can imagine the neighbors being very curious about this unkempt family, two horses and a converted car being parked in their affluent neighborhood with perfectly manicured lawns. Patty wasn't super happy about the ragtag family coming to stay, and she kept a very close eye on them. I'm sure that Billy was elated to spend time with his twin. Bobby and his family would accompany Billy's family to the Baptist church for Sunday services. Kirina went along, but still strongly believed in their way of life with mysticism, tarot cards, meditation, and the hippie lifestyle. This, however, was all about to come to an abrupt end. One Sunday, as they were sitting at the back of the church, the minister was preaching about giving your heart to God to receive life eternal. This sermon must have struck a chord with Bobby, because he eventually went up to the minister and knelt before him. He repented and gave his heart to God. 
Kirina, on the other hand, was mortified. She didn't like the uppity nature of the Christians and wanted to live the free and unrestricted way that they had lived up to this point. Three days later, however, Bobby had convinced Kirina to convert to Christianity as well. Then he cut his hair, trimmed his beard, stopped using substances and burned everything related to their previous life, like their tarot cards and eagle feathers. He even went as far as legally changing his and Karina's names back to their original names and naming their daughter Elizabeth. Bobby then spent as much time as he could studying the Bible. One day, Bobby sold off the rest of their belongings, including the horses and the converted Chevy, and bought another car. He and his family then piled into the car and made the 1,400 mile or 2,200 kilometer trip to Beverly Hills in California. Here, they went to stay with Karina's mother in her sprawling mansion. It's not clear why, but Bobby then left his family there and went back to Fort Worth to stay with his brother. Kirina's mother Betty still didn't like Bobby very much, so I think she may have been happy to see him go, and may even have hoped that her daughter would settle down with her. Kirina, however, still didn't like the city and their way of life. She loathed it as much as she did when she had run away as a teenager. She longed for her vagabond lifestyle, and I'm sure that on some level she may even have missed Bobby. Back in Fort Worth, Bobby still read the Bible, and he tried to decipher each part of the scripture and would argue points with the local pastors. He became very set in his ways and believed that everyone else was misinterpreting the Bible. He would even tell people that they were bound for hell if they didn't change their evil ways. Bobby claimed that one evening he had a revelation from God who told him to marry Karina and said that they would have 21 children together. Now let's just pause here for a second, because Bobby is now in his 30s and he and Karina already have two children. And if he wants to get to 21, and I'm assuming this is not counting the children he has with other women, then Karina would still have to fall pregnant additional 19 times. That means, if she was, say, 20 or 21 years old, she would have to have at least one child a year until she was 40. Now, I don't have any children of my own, but I can't imagine that it could be great for her body to be pregnant all of the time. And besides that, how do you manage to give all of these kids individual love and attention? Eventually, Bobby returned to California, where he collected his family and brought them back with him to Fort Worth. When they arrived back in Texas, Bobby made a plan to buy the Chevy and the horses back. Bobby's new dream? To take his family and live in isolation from the rest of the world. He claimed that they needed to do this in preparation for the coming of Jesus. Yes, those are alarm bells that you're hearing. Isolation from others is one of the elements that leaders use to keep their followers away from outside influence. The same could be said for a person who exercises undue influence and coercive control over their partner. Bobby was now convinced that his purpose was to preach to those lost hippies who at one time were his peers. The family then hit the road again, this time to New Mexico. 
On their way, the car broke down and sadly, Kirina, who was pregnant at the time, suffered a miscarriage. Bobby would later claim that it was a girl and named her Hope. They ended up just outside of a small town called Reserve, where there was a commune where they encountered some of their old friends from Apple Valley Commune. Here Bobby started to proselytize to his fellow commune members. He was so convincing that he converted a few families at the commune. Bobby was now amassing a little group of followers, and he loved it. One day at the commune outhouse, Bobby found a small card which stated that a caretaker was needed to take care of a large piece of property in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains in New Mexico. At 200 acres, or 80.9 hectares, this would be the perfect place for Bobby to semi-isolate from the rest of the world. It could also have been a sign to him that the literal meaning of these mountains was blood of Christ. Bobby wanted to go, and he even managed to convince a few of his followers to come with the family. He piled his wife, kids and horses, along with the dog and cats which they had acquired, into the barn, and they, along with a few of his followers, set out to a town called Mora. In the town, they met up with the property manager and got directions to their new mountain home. It was a steep dirt road that zigzagged up the mountain. When they finally got there, all they found was a rundown old shack with no water source. This wasn't ideal for all of the people living there, so they dug a well. The Hale family continued to live in the barn, and the other followers lived in a temporary wooden structure, which was covered with tarp and dirt. They called this makeshift shelter Earth Lodge. Just as an interesting aside, the actual owner of the property was none other than the famous actor Jack Nicholson. He had fallen in love with the area while shooting a movie and then decided to buy land there. As winter started creeping onto the mountainside, the people who had followed Bobby there were not willing to live in the temporary shelter with snow and no electricity or running water. One day in September, They packed up all of their belongings and left. Instead of being angry, Bobby was actually happy that they left, because that meant that he had the whole place to himself, and his family, of course, would have no outside influence. Bobby built their family a 341-square-foot or 31-square-meter cabin. For a family of four, this is pretty small. In January of 1980, Elizabeth was pretty excited for her upcoming fourth birthday, when her father suddenly announced that she would not celebrate this year, or any year for that matter. None of them would. He declared that it was a pagan custom and was no longer worthy of celebration. I did a quick search and found that the first recorded birthday celebrations were recorded in Egypt for the pharaoh, but I also found in Psalms 118 verse 24, in the King James Bible, it says, quote, This is the day the Lord acted. We will rejoice and celebrate it. The good news. God created mankind and earth, so we owe him our utmost gratitude. Rejoice for another year of birth and give up prayer of thanks. End quote. Now my mind went to two places around Bobby's declaration. The first one was that he didn't want to celebrate any of his family's birthdays 
because he didn't want them to feel special and didn't want to give them gifts. My other thought was that he may have missed that passage in the Bible, but I kind of figured that he may not have missed it. Perhaps he just interpreted it differently because he is sure going to use the Bible a lot to get his way in the future. Karina had also fallen pregnant by this time again. I'm going to remind you of the trigger warning I made in the beginning of the episode. From this point forward, there will be mention of elements of child abuse. The family settled into their new life. They added a cow, some chickens, a pair of kittens and a few rabbits to their homestead. Bobby would still intensely study the Bible, telling his family that he was looking for new revelations and Karina did the household chores and homeschooled the children. Their day would start off with a lengthy Bible reading performed by Bobby. If the children became fidgety or didn't completely focus on Bobby while he was reading, he would wrap them on the heads with his knuckles. This feels very similar to the children being punished during one of David Koresh's sermons, which I covered in my series about the Branch Davidians. Once the, for lack of a better phrase, Bible study was done, the children would then do their chores and get homeschooled. At the end of the day, if they had done their chores well, they would be rewarded with sweets. Bobby would at times read to the children from other storybooks as well. Later that year, baby Joshua was born at their homestead on 10 August 1980. Upon his birth, Bobby declared that baby Joshua would become a prophet. Bobby was of the opinion that women could not preach and had to be the submissive gender. One of the things that a cult leader or narcissist can do to prevent people from leaving them is to ensure that they do not have the social tools or means to be able to leave. As we know from the BITE model, controlling the information flowing to your followers keeps them in line with your indoctrination. Bobby kicked this off by announcing to the children that they were not allowed to have toys anymore. He quoted a passage from Exodus in the Bible, which actually speaks to God not allowing his people to worship any idols. But Bobby, because you see, he at this point thought himself an authority on the Bible, decided that toys were the equivalent to false idols, and having his children play with these false idols must be a sin. Bobby started referring to toys as the tools of the devil. He made Elizabeth and Joseph place all of their toys into a bag and then drove them to the dump to throw them away. Reading Elizabeth's recollection of this moment is absolutely heartbreaking. The children would also no longer be taught to read or write, and their storybooks were thrown in the ablution waste pit. Oh, and the children and Karina were not allowed to read the Bible. Only Bobby was. He'd also at times read from other books, but only ones which he deemed appropriate. These would not be the only changes that Bobby would implement with regards to the children, but that will come later in the story. Life carried on at the homestead, Bobby studying the Bible for hours, Kirin attending to the family, and the children doing their daily chores. Then one day in around 1983, Bobby called his three children to him. He declared that they were no longer allowed to call him daddy. They were now to refer to him as Papa. He claimed that this new title differentiated him from everyone else in the world 
because Jesus had called his father Abba, which he said meant Papa. I looked it up. Abba is an Aramaic word for father, so technically it could be Daddy or Papa as well. Some Sundays, the family would saddle up the horses and ride down to the nearest hamlet. From there, they would hitch a ride to the Baptist church to attend services. While on their way, Bobby would bring out his guitar and have the children sing. He would then start furiously preaching to anyone in the vicinity. The people in the surrounding town started to refer to him as Preacher Bob. Baby David was born somewhere during this time, but I I can't exactly find out when. At one point, after having studied the Bible, Bobby called his children once again. This time, he announced that the children were no longer allowed to use their imagination anymore. No playing pretend or anything of the sort. Now, he had already taken away their toys, which basically meant that all that they had was their imagination when playing, but he was no longer even allowing that. As the children were pretty young, they didn't really understand what it meant, until one day, when they were out playing, Elizabeth pretended to be a chicken and got smacked over the hands with a stick for it. They then realized that it basically meant that they were not allowed to have any kind of fun anymore. At some point, he even stopped the children from being homeschooled and gave them more and more chores to keep them busy during the day. Bobby also claimed that the only way for his children to be free from sin was by him giving them corrections. They had to receive these punishments with a willing and thankful heart. Furthermore, he claimed that if they had any unconfessed sins on their heart, they would be sent straight to hell by God. So they were made to confess all of their sins, no matter how small, to Bobby. We all know that these rules can be related back to Dr. Hassan's bite model under the behavioral control. The children were also banished to the attic when they had done something wrong in Bobby's eyes, and they'd be made to stay there for hours, days, or even a week, depending on the perceived severeness of the sin against Bobby. When they were in the attic for any extended period of time, they were only allowed water and whatever scraps were left from meals. They were even given a bucket for their ablutions, but they could only use it if they called Bobby and asked permission. These kids were so scared of him by this time that they did whatever he said without question. Bobby erected a huge cross at the end of the property. He then declared that the place would be called Rainbow Cross. This is because he saw a rainbow touch the cross one morning. The cross was later struck by lightning and they had to put up a few replacements because some were blown down by the wind and others were taken down by neighbours. Bobby would eventually plant one in concrete, which stood for years after they left, but I'm getting ahead of myself now. At one point, Karina had visited her mother and had told Betty that she had now become very country. Bobby liked this idea so much that he started calling her country, and later Country Rose. Little baby Moses was also born during this time, and again, I couldn't find a specific date. They were now up to five children, Six if you add hope. Remember, all seven of the family members were still living in a tiny 31 square meter cabin. 
Bobby declared that everyone outside of their family was a non-believer or a pagan non-believer and that the families needed to have little contact with the outside world. In our next episode, we will continue with the family's life in New Mexico and look at some of the other beliefs that Bobby would put in place to keep his family completely indoctrinated. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and rate and review us. It will go a long way into improving the podcast and helping others find it. Please invite your family and friends to listen too. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe and like the video. You can also leave comments. You can find me on Facebook and you can email me at decodingcults at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If there are any topics around the workings of cults which you would like further explanation on, or if there is a cult that you would like to hear about, email me or post it in the Facebook group. Remember to go and check out By Design Crafts SA and Endeavor AV and tell them that I sent you. The amazing logo art was created by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening.